Welcome in, everyone, uh, to the Friday Longhorn live stream. I'm joined by Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com. I'm Bobby Burton. Uh, each and every Friday, we come to you, uh, talk a little uh, Longhorn football, recruiting, sports, uh, other topics. Uh, then we also take your questions uh, for the rest of the time period. Uh, we've got a few things we want to cover right now. Uh, the Texas State track meet uh, always something that brings a lot of folks to Austin, something I went to uh, as a kid growing up and then even uh, have, have, done, have seen it every so often uh, through the years while I was a student on campus at Texas. And then uh, since that time, watching a, a lot of football players compete, that is going on right now uh, at uh, just across from DKR at uh, Mike Myers Stadium. Uh, it is a, a tremendous venue for people that are out there. Uh, Jerry has some early results that we want to talk about including a Longhorn football recruit uh, that just placed in the shot put. Jerry? Yeah, uh, Trevor Goosby finished fourth in the uh, 5A shot put. 56-5 and a quarter is what he threw there. Um, you know, uh, he beat Dalen Evans, A&M assignee, the junior out of Pine Tree. So score run for Texas on that one. And Evans is going to take an official to visit to Florida, by the way, so in case any – uh, A&M fans are uh, listening here. They can run on over to texags.com and put that on a message board. Um, I learned that while I was in Florida last week. Uh, but, yeah, Go Goosby had a – you know, Bobby, we talked to him on the show, and he's a kid that's gone from 6'6", 245 to 6'7", 285 in the last year. Shot put was in the mid-40s last year. He got it up to 57 and change this year before the state meet. Uh, so it was good that he went out there and performed well, uh, 56 uh, five and a quarter, uh, pretty good, pretty good showing for a guy, pretty big improvement from, um, junior to senior year. And, and Bobby, you haven't seen the results yet, but the, the tough thing for Goosebys, you just don't walk into Austin and beat the friends with guys in shop, but friends would finish second and third. So, you know, <laughs> wow. Jerry, the only thing we're good at track is pole vault and shot put. So take that Goosby. <laughs> Jerry representing his old high school. Hey, uh, also going to talk a little bit today uh, about uh, uh, an article that Ian wrote uh, about scouting the defensive weaknesses of the Texas defense. Uh, and I think this is a really good topic yeah. uh, for people that are in, involved and really want to know some of the intricacies of what Texas is facing uh, on a weekly basis uh, and also how they're going to do it when they're, they may have some weak spots uh, still on the roster, despite what looks like a, a very good roster overall. We also have our weekly trivia question. Uh, we appreciate uh, and hope you're going to like this one. It's an old guy and a new guy. So some people get this one immediately. and Some people may have to reach back in their memory bank uh, for the answer, but there's actually going to be two correct answers. Uh, and then also uh, we just want to take y'all's questions. A lot of recruiting stuff. It's that time of year. Uh, Jerry Longhorns expecting uh, a, a big-time player on campus this weekend, in part uh, because of the state track meet, right? Yeah, Kobe Black, a uh, top 20 prospect in the country, on three industry ranking, composite five-star. Uh, look, we all know he's believed, know he's a Texas lean, the corner from Waco Connolly, uh, former high school teammates with Jelani McDonald and Trey Wisner. Obviously, Wisner moved up to DeSoto his senior year. McDonald's competing in the uh, triple jump at the state meet. Waco Connolly's there on a couple other things. Uh, but, yeah, it's big to get Kobe on campus again. He's going to officially visit the 23rd through 25th. I believe he goes to Ohio State the weekend before. Um, visit to Alabama could happen, maybe an LSU, maybe a USC. Uh, but this is one that, you know, we all feel like stays close to home at the end of the day. Um, I was actually – when I was on the road last week in Florida, I had an SEC defensive back coach say, oh, that kid will end up at Texas. Thought that was interesting. You know, you know how that goes, Bobby. The guys who aren't getting them, they'll throw out their opinions really quick, even though they've been recruiting them. Uh, so we'll see if that works out. But I have an RPM for Texas. But it's huge to get him back in on, on campus again. Um, obviously, brother plays at Oklahoma State, so there's already a precedent for staying somewhat close to home and not being a, a plane trip away instead of being a car trip away. Um, but, look, with Texas losing, set to lose Ryan Watts next year, uh, a guy who started all year last year. We'll see who starts this year. I'm sure Ian can get into that a little bit. But, uh, um, you know, it, it's something Texas has something to sell there. Then along with, you know, look, Terrence Brooks came on and played as a true freshman, got starts, whether it's due to injury or not, played well at the end of the year. So 
Uh, Malik Muhammad's already competing right now. So uh, Kobe Black knows if he comes in as a midterm enrollee, which he is, then look, there's a chance he can come in and compete right away because Terrence Brooks did that and Malik Muhammad is on his way to doing that. Number 18 overall prospect in the country, according to On3, uh, five-star uh, prospect as well, Jerry. I think, uh, you know, we talk about this and it's uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty big thing when they're five stars, uh, but we don't expect a lot of commitments right now. Uh, they're still waiting for that June time period. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Ian a question next, but first we need to say thanks to our Friday sponsor. That's Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, if you're looking uh, to start your own business, own your own business, uh, give Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net an opportunity to talk to you. He's a guy that essentially gives you a Q&A uh, and talks to you about what you might want to do, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and what your time uh, uh, amount al allowed uh, during a day to create a business would be, uh, then takes you through that process and then gives you a couple of opportunities that uh, may be just right for you. Uh, that's Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net, 404-973-9901. Ian, uh, we talked about this, uh, and welcome in here on Friday. We talked about you scouting the opposing defense or the opposing uh, offenses for Texas, but you also self-scouted Texas a little bit. What were your thoughts on the larger issues you see as problematic for the Texas defense? Well, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of weak spots in this defensive lineup, honestly. Um, I started to just cycle through if, if I'm an offense trying to look for where am I going to get offense anywhere? Um, the fact that Texas has Watts back Brooks or Holmes to play opposite Jedi Barron back in the nickel Catalan Crawford is coming on more depth behind them, Blake Muhammad, et cetera, et cetera. There's just not really easy places to attack in the passing game. Um, I know that they don't have a premier pass rusher. I know that the pass defense was more the weakness last year. But if you're an offense trying to scheme up matchups for a top receiver or wanting to live and die by throwing the ball, it's just really an uninviting lineup to face. So I think that teams will prefer to take their chances running the ball. See if Ethan Burke or whoever the young replacement edge is for a gofu can hold up. See if whoever plays weak side linebacker in place of DeMarvion Overshone can consistently find the ball. You know, does Ben to know what he's doing if he's the starter? If Anthony Hill gets in there, is he going to be easy to, to distract and get his eyes in the wrong place, um, et cetera, et cetera? Those are two question marks, I would say. And there's maybe even some questions about defensive tackle depth. You know, maybe if Sweat or Murphy is not on the field, maybe there's chances to run the ball inside as well. So I think teams will look to run the ball and uh, try to score quickly because Texas will give you one-on-one -on -one shots because they like their corners so much. So I think a team that can run the ball without just getting buried and punting a lot and has the capacity to try to accept those one-on-one -on -one shots, that's going to be the team that's most dangerous to Texas. What type of quarterback, Ian, will give Texas the most problems next year? Because – with the new – some of the programs moving into the Big 12, a John Reese Plumley is a tough guy uh, to contain in the pocket, and Gus Malzahn will use his running ability. Um, what quarterbacks do you think would, could give Texas the most problems? I would think maybe more a guy that's a true dual threat rather than, you know, like a running quarterback that can sort of throw, which is how I would describe maybe Plumley or uh, – or the West Virginia guy, um, you know, a really good premier dual threat is just a problem for anyone. Right. So that's, that's kind of a trump card that that could be an issue. I don't know if a runner, I just feel, I think that they have the capacity with all the man coverage guys to just devote extra resources to spying the quarterback or sitting in underneath zones and running those guys down. So I don't know if that would be the issue. It probably be more quarterbacks that throw a really good one-on-one -on -one catchable ball. Uh, not necessarily a cannon-armed guy, but a guy that really has a knack for like hitting the back shoulder, or uh, or seeing the post and hitting it in the window. Whatever the, the deep, the really smart deep throw guys, and then obviously just the you know future draft pick dual threats that can do it all. 
Well, how do you think? How do you think Donovan Smith going from Tech to Houston? How would that? How could could that be a scenario? Because Dana Holgerson's a good game planner, right? I mean, you got to give him credit for that. How, how do you think? Do you think that hurts Tech against Texas? Even though they think both of their guys are future draft picks in Lubbock, I'm just here to tell you whether they are or not. I, I agree with Baron Morton, but does that change Tech without Donovan Smith against Texas? I think Tech is still fine. Uh, Tyler Shuck ran the ball like 25 times in the bowl game. He's up to yeah. 230. He's a pretty good runner. He's tough like Smith was. He's not as big as Smith. He's, I don't think he's as agile, but he's tough and willing. That guy can finally stay healthy. And then Baron Morton gained like 15 pounds as well, and he did a little bit of that last year too. So I think he also has that that capacity to do like sort of very situational Sam Ellinger type stuff. Yeah. And then Smith and Houston – I think is dangerous. Like, I do like, too. <laughs> Holgerson is really, really good at just leaning in and isolating his best guys against your weak spots. It, I, it just, I think for them, it just comes down to offensive line play because you can't, you know, yeah. you can't ISO a good player if you just can't block and everything is falling apart at the snap because everybody's getting blown. They have like, they may be starting Jalen Garth at guard, you know, from Texas. Who couldn't really crack the lineup because his knee injuries kind of depleted him. I don't know what kind of shape he's in. It's kind of hard to recruit top linemen to Houston in general. So, uh, you know, we'll see on that. But I'm with you that Smith is potentially scary. Uh, I wrote a piece this morning, guys, on Inside Texas, giving the uh, stats from last year's uh, returning quarterbacks. Uh, a note here, of the 14 schools now in the Big 12, nine have returning starters. And the other five all have guys who have started or were, were going to be starters coming back. So there's not a true brand new quarterback anywhere in the Big 12 out of the 14 schools. Uh, granted, Emory Jones is at Cincinnati now instead of Arizona State or Florida. Uh, Chandler Morris went into the season last year at TCU as the starter, but got supplanted by Max Duggan. So there's a there's a couple of elements there that are a little bit different. Uh, but is that Emory Jones from Florida? Florida. He was at Florida and then Arizona State, right? And now he's at Cincinnati. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They've got these guys. Uh, the Big 12 is not going silent at, at quarterback. Uh, Jalen Daniels, who I don't know that we mentioned at all in that category, is the Big 12's top returning quarterback, Will Howard, uh, by stats, probably the second uh, leading returning quarterback, the young man out of Kansas State, who did not start against the Longhorns last year. Uh, the Wildcats went with Adrian Martinez. Uh, so in all, uh, the Big 12 should be fairly good at quarterback, even though as a league, we think the league is going to be down next year from a talent perspective, right? And so I think it's interesting, will the quarterbacks at some level lift those programs up a little bit? I, I think that's a, a reasonable question. Uh, we we kind of walked into one more point. We kind of walked into a little bit of a discussion there because we always talk about what Houston and UCF, how they can give people problems moving into the Big 12, right? But Ian brought up a point that I think we ought to make. It's tough for those guys from an offensive line perspective moving into the Big 12. It's not like they're moving into SEC. I get it. or Big 10. But those schools tend to not have depth on the offensive line. And if Jalen Garth is starting at Houston, that's a not a great sign for Houston in year one of the Big 12, honestly. I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think that, 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 that happens. But then at the same time, Jerry – one player kind of can trumpet. Yep. You know what I mean? Where, especially in a, an Hol a Holgerson-like offense, where they like to throw it around on the outside, where it's not really about lining up and beating somebody at the point of attack so much. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting. All right. Uh, we're going to, we're going to hit our trivia question now. Uh, there, there is no prize for this, but the person that person that uh, responds first uh, gets uh, our immense respect uh, from Jerry, Ian, and myself this week. Uh, this is brought to you by Last Stand Hats. Uh, you can use the promo code BOBBY10 for 10% off any hat at laststandhats.com. Uh, Mike Murphy and the guys there at Last Stand Hats 
uh, the owner, a guy that's done a, a really nice job with that website and with uh, procuring a lot of really cool Longhorn uh, hats and whatnot. All right, here's the question. All right, what two former football players at the University of Texas also won the NCAA Long Jump Championship two years, twice? So both of them won it twice. One of them I expect everybody to get really quickly. The other one, I don't know. And I'm saying this because I want to tie it into the Texas State track meet uh, going in. So please get your answers in uh, and we'll see if uh, folks get it right here. Uh, but uh, Jerry, Ian, you guys know these two guys. Uh, you've both seen them play, I think. Uh, what are your thoughts on what a guy that's in track, these two actually, in my opinion, translated that track speed to the football field? Is that is that fair to say? Uh, uh, yes, and I want to comment, but I give one away if I comment. I, I'm thinking that I've been in the business 20-plus years now. The first time I saw one of these guys was actually on the track, long jumping. And I walked away saying, hmm, that guy could be an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we got our answer. I think it's from David Williams. Eric I thought Metcalf. David. I thought David Williams might win this. Game. Yeah, Eric Metcalf. Eric Metcalf uh, played for the Longhorns back in the '80s, late '80s, uh, out of Arlington, Virginia. His dad, Terry Metcalf, played for the Cardinals, among other player uh, other play uh, teams uh, in the NFL. Came to Texas uh, immediately, played it. Uh, not Bobby Burton, Ryan. I can guarantee you that. Mine was like ten foot with a running head start. Um, and then Marquise Goodman, Goodwin also an Olympian uh, at the, that as well. All right. Uh, congrats to David Williams for getting that right. Uh, let's go ahead, uh, guys, and unless y'all uh, just have something else you want to talk about, let's get to some questions uh, that folks have asked us. Uh, a lot say, of recruiting uh, stuff today, Jerry. What'd you say, Ian? Oh, can I just say on Goodwin, I remember there was a scout that thought that Texas really wasted him and that he would do really well in the NFL, and I thought, I don't know about that. He just seemed limited in what he did at Texas. And then it, it turned out that it was Texas's fault because he had, <laughs> he had some pretty big games and nice moments in the NFL. He's still in the league, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. He's knocking around. I don't know. I don't know where he's at. I will he say this. In 2009 in the Red River shootout. Yeah. Part of the problem was he didn't have quarterbacks that could get it to him. David Ash was after uh, Colt left. Uh, David Ash was the only one. They could really get it to him, and he he was injured enough that uh, didn't really happen for him uh, as well. But uh, Marquise, the one thing about him, uh, he, I went and saw him play as a high school senior as well, and he took a reverse for 30 yards, like it was a pitch reverse. That was the only time he touched the ball the whole game, and he just absolutely looked like he was shot out of a rocket. And I remember thinking to myself, this guy's going to run track and he must be really good in track. And I knew he had gone, I think over 50 feet. Uh, and I knew he'd gone 25 plus in high school in the long jump, but uh, to end up being an Olympian, that was something to see in high school at, at that level. Uh, you see last year he was with Seattle. I'm not sure where he's at this he's year. He's with the uh, Cleveland Browns in training camp. Interesting. All right, let's get going here with some questions. Let's start with E Kim. Uh, got some recruiting questions. This one's for Jerry. If Texas plays to their potential in 2023, how many players will be invited to the combine and potentially drafted? Ian, I want you to chime in on this one as well. So I think we we answered, we've talked about this before. I think we have the number based on early entrance up to 11 or 12 in the combine. It's possible. Now that's it. Now that's if Quinn, Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Byron Murphy all bounce to the NFL. If all that happens, you've probably – won the Big 12 championship, right? Let's be real. Um, but I, I think that's a max number is like 11, which I, I would be interested to know last time Texas has had double digits. I don't have that in front of me. Uh, it's it, it's They are set to have the most they've had, that's for sure. Ian, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the same. You know, I'd be curious to see a um, somebody to do some research on the correlation between a team's win-loss record and how many guys go to the combine or get drafted? Because it seems like the NFL might have a slight bias towards guys that were part of winning programs. 
I think people usually say like, oh, they won because they got all those NFL guys. But I, I, I'd be curious. I think teams that win get a little, a little more benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, eleven or twelve. If everybody goes out, um, there's probably some guys that we're counting as early entries that are probably going to come back. Maybe like half of those guys come back and half of them uh, depart. I mean, look. At receiver alone, you're talking about four possible guys. Receiver is so tricky. That's kind of the one that's I know that, but Nayor may not may come back if he's not the direct starter, but you don't know. AD Mitchell could be gone. Xavier Worthy is an early enroll, would be an early guy. Jordan Whittington, you think would be invited to the combine. Um, that's that's four receivers alone. Then you have a guy like JT Sanders at at tight end. You don't know about Quinn Ewers. Christian I mean, Jones. Christian Jones at, at uh, tackle. Jake Majors may – I mean, he's going to be a four-year starter. Um, and so you got to think about those kind of guys. And that's just on offense. On defense, Jalen Ford, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Alfred Alfred Collins, uh, Jade Barron. Brian Watts I mean, probably goes to the combine. I mean, there's just – I'm just telling you, there's, there's a, a number of guys that uh, have an opportunity if they have the type of year they had. I would think, Ian, I don't necessarily agree with your premise there about uh, the NFL guys leaning into winning programs that much. As I, I think that not for combine invites so much. Uh, I feel like that's basically just athleticism and ability, uh, and they do a pretty good job weeding those out. I think of Baylor two years ago that had all that talent, uh, and then they lose them and they lose more games. That's just it's the more way it the, goes. Probably more for the draft than the combine, I would say. They they draft up guys that win. I think yeah. I agree with that. Not so. Hey, for instance, uh, Alabama had thirteen the most last year or this recent combine. Georgia twelve. For the people following TC, they had nine. Um, so your national championship game had twelve. Georgia nine. Um, a TCU and I I can look up Ohio State's number, but that had to be in the double digits for their. And TCU stuff. had eight selected, yeah. so that gives you a, a framework there. All right, let's uh, let's move and move on here from Joel McWaters. Uh, what true freshman's upcoming season, good or bad, will have the most impact on the twenty four recruits? Jerry, I, I would go. I would probably go. I think Anthony Hill's going to have a good year. Um, but I don't know that he's going to have an impact. Maybe a guy like Cedric Baxter, where you have Jarek Gibson and Christian Clark out there at running back. So, so I think you almost have to change this to 2025 guys because 2024 guys are all 80% of them are committed, right? It's done. Um, but if you look ahead, yeah, I mean, I, I think Cedric Baxter is a big one um, as far as out of state guys go, especially with how hard Texas is recruiting Florida and just being down there, guys. I'm just telling you, Texas can put more resources in the Florida right now because these kids, as Bobby knows from the recruiting advisor days, you couldn't get those kids out of Florida at one time because Miami, Florida, and Florida State were three of the top five programs in the country. Those kids in Florida don't see it that way right now, and they for good reason. And neither none of, none of the three have done anything for a while. Um, that's a state you can really recruit. I think Cedric Baxter is an important one for Texas to be a really good player. Um, I would look at John Tay Cook uh, because he was a voice in recruiting. He's at that I-20, Duncanville, DeSoto, Lancaster uh, line that goes all the way to Mansfield, North Crowley on I-20. Very popular guy. Um, If he has a really good season, you know, as a freshman, he's going to play, right? He's playing by some really good players, uh, but he's going to break through and play. But him performing well and having some moments I think would be big. All right, let's get going here. We got Jay, the activist here. Uh, how long do you think until Saban, Nick Saban retires? Yeah. That will be a seismic change in the sport. You know, I don't know how much, how if it's going to be seismic anymore. Uh, Kirby Smart's won the last two national championships. You know what I mean? I, I think it'll be a big change, but I don't know that it is a seismic change anymore. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. I think we'll see. This is a big year for me for Nick Saban. Huge. Rebuilding. 
he's rebuilding right now at a level he hasn't rebuilt that in a while. Not that he doesn't have guys coming. So don't get me wrong. It's just, I mean, is anybody really picking him to be in the NCAA championship game this year? They have a question at quarterback. Yeah. I don't know. Here's 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 where it, it it I think it I think it's seismic in the SEC. Maybe not nationally anymore, but I do think it's still going to be seismic in the SEC because there's one thing you can count on as long as Nick is at Alabama. They're signing a top three class. So for all a lot of those kids in Texas and the SEC region, it really does open it up. And the biggest benefactor, well, some people say, well, it'll be Texas. It's going to be LSU. If, because Brian Kelly's going to win, and it's almost perfect timing for him. Auburn and the and Auburn as well. If, if they start turning the corner, but Nick was the one guy who could always go into Louisiana and get Cam Robinson, get almost get Fournette, but I mean, um, Hootie Jones off I twenty. I mean, uh, Landon Collins. He was the one guy, even with LSU, was really really good that could go in at Bama and take away the must-haves from LSU. And I do think that changes um, when he retires at Bama. So I think it's seismic in this. Two other factors, too, if he leaves. Does he go on TV and start becoming like um, the Charles Barkley of of, uh, college football, just in terms of how much of a voice he has? And then secondly, that job opening is a pretty big deal. Uh, I don't know how that rearranges the, you know, the deck chairs and, and college football at large with coaching. Like well, everybody's always said, everybody's always said Dabo goes. I don't see that. Uh, Not anymore. I, I, I could see I could see a guy like Dan Lanning being Kirby's kryptonite, maybe oh, in Alabama's yeah. mind. If he proves this, this is interesting. Field. This obviously puts Texas and, and OU in the SEC, uh, given the new realignment. Uh, 16 for the SEC, ACC five. That's just Clemson and uh, uh, Florida State. I guess I guess Miami would be in there if it's 25 years. Big Ten, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. Have they won a national? They won it, I guess, in '98, didn't they? '97, yeah. '96, yeah. Okay, and Pac-12, Big 12. Look at that. But and and you got to think Big Ten also USC because they're now going to the Big Ten. Yeah. So that's why the Pac-12 is at zero there. That's interesting. Uh, thanks, Ashton, for that uh, comment. I like that. That was a good stat. Yeah, that was a real good stat. All right, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, get one more question in, then we need to hit a advertising break. Uh, let's go to uh, Sark After Dark. Guys, since Sark will always be the primary play caller at Texas, does A.J. Milwee eventually leave so he can become an O.C. and call plays? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I well, I, I can see that. Personally. Here's my thing. Here's the way I look at it. If Texas is good enough, they win a conference a couple a conference title, go compete right away in the SEC. I mean, we we live in a world where a guy can go straight to Toledo and be the head coach nowadays, right? I mean, he doesn't have to be an OC and call plays. If you have enough success, he can go back to one of the uh, Midwest Mac schools that he was formerly at and probably made a good impression, and maybe just be the head coach. I mean, I I. I I'm, that's not out of the question if Texas has enough success. That seems like because it seems like as an OC, he's mostly just kind of like an adjunct professor to right. Start. But his recruiting has obviously been really big, and he's been around. So yeah, I, I bet Jerry's onto something. With he might just skip to head coach at Texas State or back in the MAC, I guess. I think he's he's got higher aspirations than Texas State potentially, but uh, I would agree with you. I think I think a MAC. Uh, school makes a lot of sense for him, given his uh, background. Uh, I think, was it at Toledo? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So. All right. I want to say thanks to uh, Andy Ludicky, our sponsor for every Friday's Longhorn live stream. Are you looking to diversify? You may be someone like me that has their hands 
and a bunch of different businesses. Well, Andy can help you diversify by finding you a business that will fit your time allotment and financial goals. Call him or email him for more. He's got a really cool process that'll take you through. I did it myself and enjoyed it. Uh, it's Andy at myperfectfranchise.net or 404-973-9900. Thanks, Andy, for your uh, continued support. Uh, we absolutely appreciate that. Uh, Jerry, you guys put out a best class scenario on Inside Texas today, uh, talking about recruiting here. Question from Cliff Beckman. For Jerry, what rank would his best class scenario have? If you want to check that out, that, that uh, scenario, go to the Recruiting Humidor on InsideTexas.com today. Yeah, I mean, that is, look, you're never going to go 26 for 26, right? Georgia doesn't even right now. Um, but if you hit 20, 19 to 20, those guys, it's a top 10 class again. And adding other pieces, you're not there knocking on the top five door. That's kind of the way I put these together is what would it take for Texas to be that top five class once again? Uh, and that's a pretty good look at it. And, and obviously, the tough thing for saying where would it rank is the rankings of individual players change so much. I can tell you that Ori Williams and Daniel Cruz are really drastically underrated nationally. I think that will change. Um, I mean, all you have to do is look at Ori Williams' visits to know he's not the 650th ranked player in America. I mean, he's got LSU, Texas, Georgia, Texas A&M um, as official visits. I mean, Stacey Searles is coming from Athens to San Marcos. I don't think Georgia's ever gone to San Marcos to recruit a player. That tells you that kid's upside ability. Um, Daniel Cruz is visiting Ohio State, Texas, A&M, and Oklahoma. I mean, Biedenball's a great line coach, right? Kyle Flood's a great line coach, right? The guy at Ohio State's a great line coach, right? Should tell people something here, but it's not telling people the correct things in our industry. Um, so that's where rankings tend to change as well. Um, so some of these guys are going to fluctuate, but if Texas gets 19 to 20, of, let's just say they're top 29 targets. They're gonna they're gonna be right there knocking on a door top seven top five class again. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Ian Boyd for this one from King Me. Uh, his question: What's the overall opinion of Pete Kwiatkowski, the Texas defensive coordinator's player development while at Washington, and how does that translate year three at Texas? Uh, he did a great job at Washington. Uh, I happen to think this will be his best defense yet. Uh, Ian, is that partially because of development? or just getting the right players fitting into the right scheme? Probably a lot of both. Um, you know, at Washington, when he got there, they had some pretty good edge guys left behind by Sark. And he had this guy, um, this Hawaiian kid whose name I'd butcher if I tried to pronounce it, Kikaha or something. He had like 18 sacks in year one under Sark. Um, that's his specialty is developing edges. He put some guys in the NFL out of both Washington and out of Boise State before that. His weak spot was recruiting. He got to the point at Washington where his, his edge recruiting was really, really like, like Texas fans would be in a pitchfork mob burning down Belmont if they saw recruiting like this at the edge at Texas. But he would just make it work by development. Uh, what he has now at edge at Texas, for Texas fans, looks like not that great, honestly. Like Colton Vosick is like one of the premier guys. A lot of, a lot of high three-star type guys. It is an embarrassment of riches compared to what they had at Washington. So it, it raises the question of like, at some point, are we going to see his coaching and development just, just take off? And like, maybe Ethan Burke is shockingly good this year. Uh, maybe, maybe Baron Sorrell is like a 10 plus sack guy just because of his capacity for developing the position or does he need another year? I don't know, but that, that's been his calling card in his career is his scheme has been one thing. His ability to work collaboratively really well is another one of his uh, positive traits. But then edge development in particular is supposed to be what makes Pete Kwiatkowski a million-plus-a-year coordinator. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe we'll – we saw maybe a little hint of that last year because he got a gofu up to an acceptable level and Sorrell made a leap. Maybe we'll see a, a jump like that this year – and, and it'll change the face of the season. Let me ask you this, Ian. He wasn't used to recruiting blue chip guys at either Boise or Washington for those uh, players. 
no offense, but I wouldn't say that Baron Sorrell was a blue chip guy. Ethan Burke emerged late as a senior. He wasn't that overhyped recruit, even though Texas got him from uh, Michigan on signing day or signing week. Um, do you think those kind of, those are the kind of guys Texas has to is going to try to develop where they have the traits? Uh, they just need more seasoning, so to speak. Well, that's where they're at right now. Obviously, they're trying to get Vosick is a true blue chipper. We'd say uh, Colin Simmons, if they can bring him in, is obviously a clear blue chipper. The, maybe an interesting question there is is more like um, does his coaching style resonate better with non blue chip players? Probably he can coach up a blue chip player just as well as he could a, a hungry three star. But you know. That, that could be a question. That was a question I had for Chris Beard uh, that we, we probably didn't really totally see play out was sure you can turn these three stars with length into lottery picks, but how are you going to do when you don't have a hungry, eager to prove himself kid that will respond to your coaching? So um, yeah, we'll see how that goes for sure. Right now, that's what they're counting on. All right. I'm going to take this one. Thanks Ian. Uh, from Michael Gresser, how is Texas one fund money distributed through the fo- throughout the football roster? Um, well, there's something called the pancake factory, which goes to every uh, offensive lineman on the team. I believe that's $50,000 annually. Then there are a number of other uh, funds distributed in various ways. Other than the uh, offensive lineman, there's no set amount. Uh, and so those guys at Texas One Fund uh, distribute that uh, and have been doing a really good job, is my understanding. I think there's no doubt that we didn't see any uh, major attrition on the roster at uh, the end of uh, April during the transfer portal. And that, they were they probably played a large role in that uh, without going too far into it. Uh, if you ever uh, are interested in donating to Texas One Fund, go to TexasOneFund.org. And uh, donate there. It is a tax deductible donation because these players, like the Pancake Factor Factory, are also are actually out in the uh, the Austin community doing good works. They worked with Dell Children's Hospital. Uh, they've also done stuff for Mobile Loaves and Fishes, uh, some places like that as well. So uh, we appreciate asking about that, and uh, we really support TexasOneFund.org. All right, uh, Jerry from Daniel Kinneman. Uh, how many edge DEs this cycle, ideally, in your 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 uh, opinion? I think I'm I'm looking at two, barring them thinking somebody may transfer out. Then the number goes to three, um, because with the portal as well, I think you you have to get your guys to develop. Obviously, you'd love to have Colin Simmons, a blue chip guy, um, but I, I I just don't. I, right now, I don't see it being three. But I, I could be proven wrong. Now, here's why. Here's where I could definitely be proven wrong. Something we didn't hit on when Ian was talking about PK. They seem to be adjusted to some bigger frame guys right now headed to the SEC. You know, so they they may think they need to take try to get a Nigel Smith as an as a Jack guy now. Try to recruit Joseph Ajan, Ajan, uh, Jonah Ajanye as a Jack right now. I think they're trying to get some bigger frame guys. And with that move ahead to the SEC, do they take the extra guy that's a bigger frame guy in, uh, in this class? I think that could possibly change the number. I don't know what you guys think. They also, um, the last class had at the edge, they had Ross apparently, uh, right. Galette who could be a linebacker or a weak side edge. Anthony Hill could be a linebacker or a weak side edge. Vosick could be a jack, but could also be a weak side edge. Yeah. So they definitely loaded up on the smaller athletes in the last one. Yeah. Not as much the, the bigger body, strong side guys. All right. Uh, thanks, Daniel, for that question. Uh, super chat here from Tyler Stevens. We appreciate it, Tyler. Uh, what are the odds Sark leaves for Bama after Saban retires? Love your show, guys. Thanks for feeding by UT Addiction. We've, we're addicted too, by the way, Tyler, just for the record. Um, Jerry, you follow this. I follow it. Chances that Bama goes after Sark after Saban retires, wouldn't that be predicated on just how well Steve Sarkeesian does over the next couple of years in Austin? That, that to me is the whole thing. I mean, look – 
I mean, we think Texas is going to be very good this year. We, you know, I would pick 10 wins as where they should be. Reality is Sark's never won 10 games as a head coach before. He's got some big stepping stones he's got to get over in the next couple of years um, to, I think, be in serious contention for that job. Um, and I know I said Dan Lanning, but I said that because he was Kirby's guy. And if George is going to be on top of college football when Saban retires, barring something crazy happening. So somebody, his Kirby's kryptonite may be important there. But Dan Lanning's got something to prove too. I mean, uh, but Sark, he needs to win on the field. He needs to take that next step. And I know a lot of people say, well, Nick Saban didn't get hired at LSU. He hadn't, he was had a bunch of seven and six seasons, but we're not there anymore. It's, it's a different game now. And, Sark will have had a lot of years as a head coach. And if you're successful at a place like Texas, man, it, 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 you definitely could become the guy that Bama covets. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. So, but I, Sark has a couple of big steps he needs to take. I don't know what you guys think. I can't imagine, I can't imagine him taking that job. Like if you get Texas to the place where Bama is trying to poach you, why then leave it to take – Maybe a better job, but one where you have to replace a legend that they're going to build a statue to if they if they don't already have one. I was going to well, say it's already built. <laughs> it's already, I would I, I would worry more about him going to the NFL. I, I think that's that's one too. But and I agree with you, Ian. And I should have said that I never want to be the guy that fire follows the legend. Look no further than Will Muschamp. Okay, Will, Will, he didn't do a great job maybe hiring offensive coordinators, right? But the guy was a great evaluator, um, a really good defensive mind. But he followed Urban Meyer at Florida and Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. Good luck. I wouldn't want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I want to add this. University of Texas has never lost a football coach that they wanted to keep. Not since I've been alive. So – it's I for Alabama or whoever to poach, it would have to be something that is just categorically different. And I don't think that necessarily exists when you're at the University of Texas. I just I, I don't see that. Now, maybe maybe a NFL job might might uh, come calling uh, or what have you. But I just I just don't see that. All right. Uh, continue going here uh, with some other uh, things that I think are interesting. A uh, couple other questions here, Jerry. I like this question because uh, it's one that we see more and more, but it's one that's still a developing answer because he just got on the job two months ago, three months ago. And that's from Ski Breck. How are potential recruits responding to the new wide receiver coach, Chris Jackson? I think that's going well. Um, I, I think kids are responding. I think they're communicating well with him. Um, I think the high school coaches, by the way, I think it's more than just the, the, the prospects. It's uh you know, when you're on the road, you kind of ask some of those questions, the high school coaches that um, and, you know, look, Chris Jackson made a really good impression over at Pflugerville Weiss High. I can tell you that. I mean, um, I happen to be locked in really for years with the former head coach that just retired there in December. And so, yeah, he's he's made some strong impressions more than just the recruits on on the stops. I mean, you know, the one thing that's interesting is you have to have that relationship with the player. Uh, you have to know how to communicate with him. And I, I never thought that would be his issue because he was in NFL draft training before he actually became a coach in the NFL. He's been recruiting in, in a different way. He's been having to communicate uh, with with prospects in their circles in a different way. They're just four years older. Um, but look, port it's also portal recruiting nowadays. you got to be able to communicate with the 22-year-old the 21, 22-year-old that's already been in college. And, and I think he's set up for that. I think it was a really good hire by Sark. The other thing, though, that makes these guys hits, and it filters down when a, a high school coach says, yeah, I really like that guy, player X of mine. When these guys get on the board, as you guys know, if they go visit a school, it's one thing to walk in and drop your business card. It's another thing to sit there and get on a board and talk the receiver position with the offensive coordinator of a high school or head coach or wide receivers coach. And I think he's passed that test so far, which is good news for Texas fans. I think that's great to hear because I think Texas needs, uh, needs that. I mean, I think they need to, to be uh, right there with them. I want to take a real quick question. Uh, and that's from mock Chanel. Uh, does uh, Trill Carter have two years left to play? Yes. If you include his COVID year, which you do. 
So the answer is yes. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, I think that's part of the reason why they wanted him, to be honest, because they felt like they needed someone that didn't have just one year left. They need somebody ready to go next year as well. All right. Uh, David Williams got a question in here that I think is a good one as well. Or a comment, actually, Baron Sorrell's tra trajectory makes me think he'll get 10 sacks and earn all Big 12 first team this year. He went from a freshman reserve to honorable mention all Big 12 and the team's sack leader as a sophomore. I have to say this, the trajectory is, you got to like it. I liked him again this uh, this year. One thing I would say as well, uh, as it relates to Baron Sorrell uh, and what he's doing, he doesn't have five or four first-round draft picks or whatever, three first-round draft picks to compete a bit against to be an all-Big 12 selection like he had this past year with the defensive ends from uh, Iowa State, uh, also from uh, Texas Tech and Kansas State as well, all first-round picks. So maybe that's part of it too. Ian, your thoughts? Well, tra trajectories usually are not that linear, right? Um, there's – Two big leaps is a lot, but, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert on the finer details of pass rushing technique, but he is a very skills-based guy and he's, you know, heavy hands. And there's a lot of, I, there's probably some, some juice left in that squeeze. Probably another factor is just how they use him. Um, is he featured? How much pass rushing talent is around him on the field? Um, does he get a lot of one-on-ones? Does he get opportunities where teams are worried about anybody else rushing the passer? Like, not even just the other edge, but, you know, if he gets to share the field with, like, Alfred Collins and maybe Anthony Hill or something in a third-down package, that could make all the difference. Got it. Kyle Witherspoon, another question here. Jerry, if Nayor, Isaiah Nayor is back 100% by August, is he a starter over A.D. Mitchell? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, Mitchell just had the spring, and I think it's easy to tell Nayor just, you know, look, we're, we're going to continue to bring you along slowly. You're going to get favorable matchups, let you get, get this out of your system on the field, you know, get back comfortable. Now, I don't think I don't think he's the starter next year. I don't um, – I think A.D. Mitchell is uh, – now, Nayor played really well uh, last spring before he got hurt, but um, now I think Mitchell's the starter. Yeah, I think he, he's better at a one-on-one -on -one type situation uh, for jump balls, right? Um, opposite, especially back shoulder. Whereas I think Nayor is one of those really true deep ball kind of threats. Is that, is that the difference between those two in y'all's opinion? Any, any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's true. And here's the other thing. Can y'all see a scenario where they play them both together? You'd have to take either worthy or Whittington off the field. So you and I don't think, I don't think you take Whittington off because how are you going to, He's the he's the inside guy. Unless you think you maybe move this worthy is, inside. This is what you do. This is what you do. Jerry's gonna like this. You take the running back off the field, and you play Jordan Whittington in and out of the backfield. Yeah. That's like, yeah. I don't know if they'll trust yours enough to do that, or if the, if Whittington can hold up to the carries he'd need to be able to do. But that's kind of your DefCon one spread passing lineup right there. That's there's no answer for that on defense other than can you get to yours or can you confuse yours because you can't cover that. I like the DefCon one comment. That's <laughs> that needs to go. That needs to go in the the memory bank there. All right, uh, thanks Casey Lane for your comment as well on that. Um, I I want to go this. This is such a layup answer for me uh, from Sergeant Single Shot. Does Sark seem more confident with this year's team to you? I know he said it finally feels like his team. But overall, he seems confident. He's a confident guy in the first place. Let's—he's not a guy that walks into the bar and says, "I can't," you know, I'm, "I can't be the man here." Um, I feel like he's very confident, but I also think that what separates that from what I would normally say is overconfidence that I've seen before, from whether it's Mac Brown, Charlie Strong, or Tom Herman, or even maybe Steve Sarkeesian his first year is that he's got the players to back it up right now. I mean, that just – and I'm not saying these players are all-American or all-world, but there are a lot of them are NFL players. When you have a lot of NFL players on your roster, as a coach, you have reason to be more confident. And if and if you're a uh, 
offensive guy as the head coach and you're a play caller and you're a quarterback developer, if you walk into your room and it's a bunch of NFL guys at quarterback, you feel very confident. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's one of those things. Let's this one. Uh, thanks for your question, Sergeant Singer. All right. Too broke to pay attention. Will Texas land more blue chips and super blue chips than last year? Well, I would have a hard time thinking that, Jerry. No, I mean, that's going to be tough. I mean, look, you've had back-to-back top five classes. Um, I, I think it's going to be very similar um, to those classes. I, I think you're going to see um, guys move up the rankings that, uh, throughout their senior season, some guys that Texas may get. Um, I Look, the number to me is always like if you sign 24, 25 guys, you ideally want to have 16 guys out of the top 300 in the country in that group, then you got a chance for a top three class. Uh, but I, I think Texas is going to, you know, two, three, five-star players. Yes, um, I think they're at that point in recruiting. If they, you know, I think the kids see the trajectory of the program. There's a lot of star power in the program. Let's be real, AM slipping last year helps Texas in that regard. We got to look at all of it and be real about all of it. Um, but you have to take advantage of that. And they did. They got Anthony Hill. Uh, so, yeah, I just I, I think they're looking at one of those, you know, look, if Te- I'll tell you if Texas has a great, great class. If they took if they signed four or five star guys and they'd like 12 guys in the top 100 in the country when it was all said and done, that's a different level class. That's like the Alabama, Georgia level class. Ohio State's had something like that. So that would be the super blue chip class versus the blue chip class right outside that. I think Texas has a chance to have another top five class, which means it would be a lot of blue chips. All right. Thanks, Too too Smart. Uh, Thanks, Rob, also for your super chat here. Uh, He wants to know what are our weaknesses. Ian, you mentioned some on defense, but let's let's go back over them for for those that may have missed it. Edge, linebacker opposite Ford with experience and and know-how, possibly safety, depending on Jalen Catalan's injury. And then you think there might be an issue against the run at times this year. Um, given that Murphy and Sweat are true run defenders uh, at this point, and Alfred Collins is more of that uh, pass rush kind of guy on the interior, is that is that fair to say on defense? And if add to that, if you would, and then also tell us what you think maybe the uh, weakness on offense might be as well. I think the offensive weaknesses are potentially worse. Um, the defense, I mean, they're going to be a good defense. I don't. There's. I don't see very many scenarios where this isn't one of the better defenses in the big 12 at least comparable to last year but yeah the, there are some questions with run defense just with some different guys stepping up i don't know if safety is really that big of a concern with keaton crawford coming on and taft kind of giving you a decent floor no matter what happens um but the weak side edge and the weak side linebacker just replacing overshone and replacing the gofu is a steady if unspectacular guy but on offense, you have to look at, you know, they have all this talent at quarterback, but will they make all the right decisions? You know, how, how big of a leap will Quinn Ewers make? If he were to be injured, how ready really are Murphy or Arch Manning to take over an offense that could maybe want to be throwing the ball 30 to 40 times a game because of all this talent, right? And then the run game like they're going to have opportunities to run the ball. So can this interior offensive line come together and who's going to carry the ball? But I mean, as I list all these things, they're all probably going to have positive answers. Honestly, this team just does not have a lot of glaring bald spots. I think the uh, run game is, I think offensive line and run game are very interesting on offense. And I say that because the offensive line, I think is going to have a lot more on their shoulders this year. Yeah, but they're a more experienced group, and I say that because if Texas goes three wide, four wide more, there's more pressure on them to protect Quinn Ewers to let a guy who's very talented get the ball out of his hand with timing and get the chance to scan the field deep down the field. The other thing is, I think Texas has really good backs. Right? Um, they had one guy who you didn't have to block a play for, and he could make a first down. <laughs> That's not there this year. So you have to block plays a split second longer this year and let those lanes develop, especially while the young running backs, even Jonathan Brooks is young, and while they get their experience on Saturdays, first real experience, 
So there's a lot more pressure on the offensive line this year to me. And interior in the run game and the tackles in pass pro. All right. Thanks, Rob, for the super chat. We appreciate you, bud. I hope to see you soon. Um, I want to say thanks again to one of our sponsors. Then we're going to finish up with a couple of uh, more questions. Uh, stuck in the corporate rat race with two weeks PTO and no control over the money you make or your schedule in general. Call Andy Ludicky. He will take you through a process to help find a business that will fit your skill sets and financial goals. Franchise ownership is not for everyone, but if you have a desire to take control of your destiny, call Andy or email him. Uh, if you have if you have what it takes to be a business owner, give him a shout. Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Let's keep going here, guys. We've got some good questions in the queue, and uh, appreciate you guys really uh, going at it a little bit today. Matt, our producer, wants me to ask you this one, Jerry. You can only have one. Which are you taking, Colin Simmons or Micah Hudson? Colin Simmons. Um, edge guys that Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly all battling you on. Um, there aren't a lot of those in Texas. And this isn't a knock on Micah Hudson. There's a lot of really good wideouts, right? And, and, and especially when you look at Texas and moving to the SEC, and the one thing we keep saying over and over again, man, they just don't have that one elite pass rusher. You know, it's moved from Texas has to correct the offensive line to Texas has to find pass rush. And Texas has done that on the offensive line. That talent is being filled. Um They've got some really good edge players. They may lack that one guy that, dang it, man, we missed it on that Duncanville kid. He went to Georgia and he went in the top 10 of the first round. So it's Colin Simmons. Yeah. Hey, I got to say this. This is a good one from Scott B. Sorrell's trajectory uh, is similar to Tim Crowder. Crowder got up to two rounds in 10 sacks. Sorrell might get close to 10 sacks. But QBs today get rid of the ball faster than in the past. There's no doubt about that. Um you know, I think that's actually a really good comparison from a physicality standpoint of what what uh, Baron Sorrell is. Tim Crowder is a really good comparison, guys. I would have, maybe Cedric Reed, I thought, as well. It, Reed had a little bit more lower body, whereas I, I think Sorrell and, and Crowder are more well apportioned. Is that Jerry? You agree with that? You see, you've seen all three of those guys. Yeah, I'm trying to think back on Crowder's uh, frame. Um, I'm having a little. I'm struggling with that a little bit. Um, uh, one thing about weird. one thing about Crowder, he was kind of a. He, he was not saying Sorrell's not man. That dude had that East Texas dog in him on the field. I mean, he was he was pretty physical, dude. Now, <laughs> yeah, no, he was, and I, I, I think that my, I think he looks very similar. I remember I was there the day that Tim Crowder got offered by Texas. Uh, he actually ran. There were two guys in. Tyler that year that were getting heavily recruited, Tim Crowder and Justin Warren, yeah. the defensive end that ended up going to AM. Yeah. Everybody had Warren rated higher. They both went to the same camp. Texas was immediately much higher on Tim Crowder because he ran faster and was more athletic and had longer arms, in their opinion. Uh, Mac and Mac Brown was uh, eventually right uh, about that. So, uh, Wanted to go back and, and give that one a go. All right, last last one here, I think, for today. Uh, let's get it in here. This one's going to be an SEC one from Ryan Phelan. With the SEC format still being worked on, is there any scenario where you'd be okay with not playing OU every year? No. 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 You got to keep I, – I, I feel like college football's trajectory to being, you know, NFL light and uh, uh, TV ad revenue-based is all fine. I don't really have a problem with it. I'm not as persnickety about the traditions of the sport as some, but you got you got to have some of the regional rivalries to make this sport what it is. Could, could, would would, would y'all be okay if it was A&M one year or you another? No. <laughs> I think okay. you want them both. I mean, I, I think that it'd be more like LSU or, A&M, LSU or Arkansas every other year. Plus OU and A and M, that's that's my opinion. I and, and the reason I say that, J Jerry, I know you don't always get what you want. So right. to your point, you're in, entering a conference where you don't hold all the cards uh, ostensibly, like you did whenever it was the uh, Big Twelve. 
I feel like I feel like Texas A&M wants to get back to that too. I feel OU wants to wants that to be the way it is. And so sometimes, you know, I don't, I just don't see that working out. I I actually could see adding not only AM, but someone like Arkansas back to the schedule uh, on an annual basis. So that rivalry gets renewed that was lost almost 30 years ago now. Are you sure AM wants it every year? Yeah. Yep. They want it just as bad, man. And and I, and I say that not necessarily um, only from a fan perspective, but their administration, I think they're ready to show that they're the equal to the Longhorns, so to speak, uh, and ready to put that up. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But all right, that's going to do it for Friday's Longhorn live stream. Uh, really appreciate you guys showing up. When, when y'all say you guys really like uh, coming on here and, and listening to us, Jerry, Ian, and I really enjoy uh, talking Longhorn sports and getting the recruiting questions and that sort of stuff because it helps us understand what our fans want and need to talk about uh, as well. Also want to say thanks to our advertiser, Andy Ludicky and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Also thanks to JD Activist, Tyler Stevens, uh, and Rob Mfield uh, for their uh, super chats during this discussion as well. All right, I'll have a, a Saturday conversation tomorrow with uh, Paul Wadlington. Should be a good one. Uh, but until next time, we'll see you. Hook them. <laughs>